Welcome to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Sit back, relax, and grab a beverage with your host, David Bischline. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Adoptive Dad Playbook. I'm glad that you decided to come back and join us, and hopefully you're enjoying the episodes. This is a pretty exciting episode. This is our 10th episode. Man, who thought 10 episodes in and people are still listening? Thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> no, appreciate you guys coming back. Hopefully everybody's having a great summer slash spring slash fall slash whenever you are listening to this. It is summer where I'm at. It is warm, very warm. I went from pretty cool to warm, it feels like, overnight, but that is uh, the St. Louis area, Missouri, in general. Man, what a great episode we have in store today. Uh, our guest is Ryan Nightingale. He is actually a gentleman I met on the Foster and Adoptive Dad Brotherhood Facebook page. Just a great guy. You're going to love hearing his story. And just the information he provides for all of us is is invaluable on foster care. It is foster care month when this is going to be put out. So please, uh, if you're interested in foster care, uh, contact me and I can put you in comments with somebody or put you in comments, put you in a connection with somebody. Give it, if you're interested at all, look into it. In the episode, he talks about an organization called One Hope. It is a local organization and that's going to be our spotlight of adoption or foster care organization to this week. It's out of Kenosha, Wisconsin. And what they do is basically they are there to help foster families. And that is exactly what they do for Ryan's family. They, as he talks about, they provide a weekly meal, one night a month babysitting for his, for all his uh, children. And basically they provide mentorship. They come over and help out when they can. This is a really, really cool organization. Now it is local out of Kenosha, Wisconsin, but man, what a great goal to help foster families so they don't become overwhelmed. If you are a foster family, you could probably second that, or even an adoptive family. We're just a family in general. I have three sons right now, and you know, there's many times we feel overwhelmed with what's going on in our life, but I can only imagine having many foster children, or even have one foster child in my house. The, the, how great that would be for a meal night out. So if you're interested, check out onehope.community. They will kind of share with you what they do. It's a really, really neat organization, and continue to support them. I have to give you a little note here. In the middle of the episode, I realized that my both my microphones were on, so the first part of the episode sounds weird and the second half sounds better. But I hope you guys enjoy what you hear today. Once again, thank you for listening. All right. Hey, welcome back. Today's guest is a very special guest. He is a math teacher, a husband, a father to both biological adopted and 59 foster children, the leader of the Foster and Adopted Dad Facebook page, makes a great leprechaun on St. Patrick's Day and a sourdough bread, Mr. Ryan Nightingale. Uh, welcome, Ryan, to the program today. I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Don't lie. You're not that excited to be here. I am excited. <laughs> it's my first podcast. Your third podcast. Well, first, I'm going to give the listener, I know my parents listen, so that's at least two people that will listen. Uh, to them, how I uh, I know you, um, I was I got hooked up on the Foster and Adoptive Ed Brotherhood group. Why don't you share a little bit with our with our listeners what that is? Sure, our Foster and Adoptive Brotherhood group is a group of foster and adoptive dads who provide um, support for each other as we go through this crazy journey 
of foster and adoptive world where we can kind of get it and we kind of know um, how the ins and outs of the language and we don't have to hear your hands are full and oh you're such a saint and those kinds of things but we can actually get it and we kind of lean on each other when we're down and we rejoice on some of the positive things that we're doing and we share all the goods and the bads and the highs and the lows and everything in between um, it's a great opportunity to kind of reconnect and connect with people all around the United States. And we actually have some international members as well who are around in like New Zealand and even Africa and United Kingdom. So super excited to be part of that group and just a really encouraging group and very supportive group um, where we can kind of ask a lot of different questions, but be able to share life together. Uh, it has been awesome. I, I feel like a little bit of an outsider because I, you know, my daughter is not home yet. Um, and so I'm like, well, I'm kind of like in, but not really. I'm on the path. I'm kind of on the yellow brick road, but I have not made it to the uh, wizard. And so you guys are already made it to the wizard. And so I'm just trying to learn under your knowledge. So I don't get taken by flying monkeys. Uh, so yeah. kind of what I'm doing, but it's, it's a great group and you guys are, it, it, it just, it's really open forum. And so it's been really good to kind of listen. You also, the question today was what's your favorite movie? Uh, I put gladiator down. I think that you would like that one. So I appreciate that. Yes, I do like the good Gladiator movies. All right, so I'm going to kind of combine I'll this. That. I'll get into that later with uh, what kind of podcasts I've been listening to. All right, so I'm going to combine this one. How you're a teacher, and I'm a teacher, and we're high school teachers. And so, uh, how has your family been, and how have you dealt with teaching during COVID? Um, it was kind of a real big challenge. Um, so we took uh, for my own children. We took our so-called playroom, which is kind of an old music room in our house, and transformed it into the school room. So we took two eight-by-foot tables and took a piece of plywood and divided it in half and made cubicles. Um, we let the kids paint their individual cubicle and then put up kind of inspirational sayings and calendars and schedules and the whole nine yards so that they had their own personal space that they could talk to each other. And then we had to upgrade our own internet system so that we could have seven um, computers running web zooms all at the same time. Um, and then I kind of shut up, set up cop shop down in the basement, um, so that I could be a voice because I was talking most of the time. And then it was quite the challenge, but I think we persevered, um, through it quite well up here in Wisconsin. We, um, starting the next school year, we did have the choice. And so most of our children went back in person um, although some of our school districts went back um, virtually. And so I had to teach hybrid model, which was not the most ideal, but um, kind of did what you had to do. So kind of had to split your time and your attention between in-person students and hybrid students um, to be able to get the learning done. And I felt a little bit more like a radio announcer than an, an interactive teacher, but um, was still super happy to answer any questions that I that might have arose, um, but we persevered through it, and we're almost at the end. Hopefully, um, we're going to knock on wood on that one and make sure that that hopefully doesn't happen again. Well, I don't want to make you jealous, but I'm done in two days, so I don't want you. I don't want you. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I uh, I'm not going to lie; I'm pretty excited about being done, uh, but I feel you there. Uh, I teaching to people's pictures. Hello. Is anybody there? Hello. Hello. You guys. All right. Hello. Hello. 
And then maybe you'll get one kid. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. And then they'll ask a question. I just talked about that. Oh, man, I was doing something else. I wasn't paying attention. So I, I feel you. I get you. Uh, you're there. All right, we're going to hop right into our warm-up questions here. There, I changed them up a little bit for you. Uh, what is your dessert of choice? My dessert of choice is pumpkin cheesecake with caramel drizzle. Wow. That sounds fancy. It is a little fancy, but it's something that I can look forward to all year long and have it once and then be done. <laughs> Otherwise, I would eat the entire thing. <laughs> hey, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> You're on vacation. That's what I tell myself. What is one thing that annoys your wife and or kids the most? Um, probably the fact that I get to tell not only dad jokes, but dad math jokes. So it's like a double whammy for them. <laughs> it's that pretty awful around your house. That's got to be, those just don't add up. Hey, no. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. I heard right. it. So what TV show, podcast, book are you listening, watching, or reading right now? And you can suggest to our fellow dads or people listening. Nice. So the book that I'm reading, and actually it's a book series. Um, the first one is called Unwind. It is a dystopian um, society where they unwind unwanted teenagers. And so anybody who is 13 to 17, you can say, as a parent, I no longer want this child in my house and I'm going to unwind them. And I won't really tell you exactly what happens to unwinded, but um, there was a big war regarding abortion. And so you're not allowed to harm a newborn or an unborn child, but you can um, uh, basically safe haven your baby to a neighbor he doesn't have to go to the fire station and so it's quite a heart-wrenching story of parents um unwanting their children and being unwound into others it's kind of crazy wow. i've been listening to podcasts on the Gaborum app um, and learning a little bit about how to be a man and a warrior and how God has made us to be warriors. And they keep referring to the fact that some men, their most dangerous thing is a stapler, where as I refer to myself as the most dangerous thing that I have in my house is a compass with a, that pointy thing that makes circles, you know? Um, so that's pretty awesome. Um, but really, that has challenged my thinking a lot. Um, and so just that I need to, I'm a bigger guy, and uh, that I do need to get fitter so that I can have more energy for my family. And I think that's been really challenging. And I've already made some steps to try to make that happen. And that's already provided more energy and more time and space for my children. And even though I didn't feel like I had time, I made time. And it happened. So we don't just veg out in front of the TV really much anymore, but we actually interact as a family, which is awesome. That is, I think that's great. The way you just talked about how you, you made it happen. I think as dads, we sometimes want it to happen and we wish for a dad, but we don't let it happen. Great. I love you. Look great. You look great. He has a sweet, like Fu Manchu that's going down. I would say like almost to his, his upper pectorals. And it's just awesome for, for the listener. All right. Are you a video gamer? I used to be quite a bit. Um, and I liked some of the old systems. Um, we just got a switch this last Christmas and I hate it. Um, it's very unreliable. Um, I liked the old Wii. I was very family friendly. And um, now our kids just fight because the remotes don't work. So um, 
Yes and no. All right, I'll take that. And what is your favorite guy or dad movie? Doctor Strange. That's right. Um, I love the mathematical fractals that happen with the scenery behind um, him and the um, the enemy in that movie. And so that and just his concept of um, finding himself within um, that area of his body and being able to use energy from the earth and things like that is just awesome. All right, we're going to hop right into it here. So just for the listener, uh, Ryan has four biological children. How old are they, Ryan? Almost 22, almost 20, 18, and 16. All right. And then you have, and how many adopted children do you currently have living with you? Five adopted children, 13, 12, 10, 8, and 3. And then you have, on top of that, you have fostered now 59. Is that correct? 59 children have come through the home, five of which have been adopted. And And the little baby one-year-old is still with us. What year did I start foster care? Yes. I'm going to, so we can kind of give an idea. 2005. So you've been doing about 16 years then. Yeah. Wow. I just wanted to give that quick background because you, you have an incredible story and I just wanted to get that. All right. So why don't you just kind of share your foster journey, adoption slash foster journey with us and just kind of, how did you guys get into it? How did you and your wife and just kind of what led you down that path? Sure. So, um, Growing up, both of our uh, moms were daycare moms, so we both have been around children our whole entire lives. Um, So we knew that we wanted to have children right away, so we actually graduated in May of 98 and got married in June of 98. Yes, that's super fast. Had our first child within the first year, and then we realized, okay, we have four biological children that God has blessed us with. We think that we can go ahead and provide some more love to some more children, so we looked into kind of adoption straight up adoption, realized that that was super expensive and we are broke. So um, decided that we felt a calling to go into foster care. That calling came in the form of, I was working as a server for a local um, restaurant at the time. And this couple came in who happened to be white and they had a black baby with them. And so I was a little bit bold and I said, oh, are you guys babysitting? And they're like, no, we're the parents of the foster care association in the neighborhood. And I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, we're going to do foster care. Um, So that's kind of how we got started. But um, from there, we grew to be good friends with those people. And, um, and basically that's how it started. And I'll get into that a little bit more too about, um, what I would recommend for my pre-foster care um, self to do, but joining part of that community and being a part of that foster care community and wrapping yourself with others around you that know and understand what you're going through is so vital to your um, survival through this crazy journey. Um, From there, we um, had a variety of different um, placements, anything from... Our first one, which was a little bit weird in regard to the fact that it was a sibling set that where one was a little bit older than our youngest daughter, and she kind of started to boss us that one around, and so that one placement didn't quite work out to our Christmas Eve um, angel baby who happened to leave the day after Christmas to a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning of needing a bed for two boys because foster mom was at a conference, foster dad worked third shift and they, the boys were with bio mom and bio mom was going to labor with their third child. So trying to comprehend that at 3 o'clock in the morning was quite difficult. 
Um, we did have a couple, a set of three sisters um, come to us for about a year. We worked with that mom for a long, long time. And she actually um, was able to reunify with the three girls, which was awesome. And we really worked with her a lot to be able to do that. And then we had lots and lots of different placements that went to um, family members or back to the um, biological parents as well. So it's been a crazy journey for us and just the amount of children that have been through our home and we've been able to love and to cherish for a little while anyway. And we've kind of kept track of all of them and we have little tiny wooden dolls that represent all of them and they're displayed in our uh, living room so that we can remember each one of them. That I like that little wooden dolls. I've never thought about anything like that. That's a really cool idea though. So you remember, I'm going to step back. I want to ask you a question. So you were at a restaurant as a server and that was just like, your moment, you were like, yep, I'm going to adopt. It was just like all of a sudden. Is that basically what you're saying? Well, we had we had started the conversation, but it was just a big confirmation of, yep, we're going to do this. So, yeah, I mean, we had started the conversation earlier, but it was just kind of crazy that early, early, early on when we were thinking about it and trying to mull it over, God was like, oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to meet the Foster Parent Association people. And so, yeah, that was just a huge confirmation for us. I mean, that's got to be you know, sometimes God works like that where he puts that in your way. And I, I do believe that 100 percent. Our pastor yeah. tells a story like that uh, growing up, You're not growing up <laughs> in church. He'll tell that about once a year about how he was some old woman came and told him he needs to start a church when he was thinking about planting church. So, uh, it, yeah, yeah. 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 Tell that story frequently. Um, so as you began to foster children in your home, how did your biological children take to that was there any was there a challenges with that um well they kind of sort of thought i mean the oldest at the time that we started was eight so eight six four and two and um all of a sudden we just start having more babies in the house and they didn't necessarily know that they didn't necessarily come from us biologically so from a very early on age they just babies kept coming and that was their brothers and sisters and that was we were mom and dad to anybody who came in. And um, so it was very natural for them. Um, and they, there was only a handful of times when they got older and as teenagers where some of them had gone and left that it affected them as well as us in that grieving process. When a child leaves your home, um, when that really started to hit us home and we kind of helped them walk through that process of sometimes they stay and sometimes they go. Um, and sometimes we grow really, really attached to them and that's what's supposed to happen. Um, and I truly believe that the reason that we build a community around ourselves is that we use that community then to build ourselves back up when we break, um, because a child leaves our home for whatever reason. And so, um, obviously God holds our hearts together. I, I talk a lot about how my heart is literally broken into a million pieces, well, probably 59 pieces at least, and have 59 scars on my heart, and how those scars make us stronger. You know, if a scar happens on your skin, that's part of your skin is stronger. And so um, I'd hope that my heart never becomes so hardened that it never is allowed to love. But it's crazy how much love that you can pour out when God pours into you. And um, it's just kind of crazy how that all happens. But for our children, it was really natural. And our son, who is now 22, um, we kind of talked with him about the last two because we kind of stopped and then started again with uh, 
the last adoption being a six-year-old and then all of a sudden starting over again with newborns. He was like, why did you ever stop in the beginning? Why did I never thought that you guys would stop fostering that just never crossed my mind that you guys would be done ever. And so that was really crazy and amazing to him. Our third daughter um, is going to school next year uh, to college to be a special education teacher because of the work that we have done within foster care. Her heart is just gigantic and loves to help and to be a mother's helper and to care for and knows the kindness and the gentleness and the voice to use already as a 16 year old, as an 18 year old, sorry, um, to be able to deal with and to work with um, special needs students. So it's just been amazing to see their growth and their compassion grow and understanding about how drugs affect the body, both um, in utero and your normal body. So that has been a blessing to, because they've never ever wanted to do um, that type of drugs. I probably should knock on some wood at this point, but they've just been really responsive to knowing how those influences could really negatively affect your own body, but also the bodies of others. So that's been really, really amazing. That that is when you, the way your kids, I guess, kind of brought that in naturally. I think that's I, I worry about that as we bring a newborn or a baby, a, a young child right. into our house. I have a twelve-year-old. My biggest fear is that my sons will like, you know, kind of not, you know, kind of like. So why do we, you know, why do we bring her in our home? And that, and so hearing that, that's always great. And you, I guess that's a, such a fear, but I, I got to let that go. I think it's control. Yeah. So it's. I'll, it's certainly a fear for a lot of people, um, especially kind of one who, especially international type adoptions um, from like South America or even Asia. And so I just really encourage people that it's just natural. It's just another child coming into the home and they don't necessarily know where the babies come from, you know, um, and ours is just starting to have those conversations, um, unfortunately, which is kind of crazy, but they do know everything, you know, so um just make sure that you're just like, yep, this is the one that you, this is your new baby sister and we're going to love and care for her just like she was. And she is our own. So it's super, super exciting. That is exciting. So when you went through your foster training, did you feel like that prepared you or were you just, were you prepared in your training? Do you think that it was good or do you think it was, because some people I get mixed reports on that. How do you feel like the training was for foster care? Um, well, that was 15 years ago. I don't That's remember true. what I had for lunch yesterday. Um, no, I, I would say that a lot of it went over my head at the time. Um, and so almost needing to have, if you were a, if I were to kind of be part of that foster um, training team or the people that were kind of in charge of it, I would give some pre-screening stuff and pre-trainings but then have an ongoing monthly training or quarterly training of like, okay, how are things going actually now that you have a child in your home, have a child left your home and provide that support ongoing and not just like, oh, okay, by the way, you are now approved and we're going to just kind of send you on your way and you're on your own, which again, for me, comes into play with these communities that you build. We have a foster care um, um foster parenting association that large, large groups of, you know, moms and dads and singles, um, moms and single dads all come together in this large group. And we all kind of support each other, um, kind of naturally, kind of organically, um, without the forceness of a group, um, from the training perspectives, but 
love the mentorship that happens within the group. Love the, hey, I'm getting a seven-month-old. Does anybody have any clothes? Does anybody have a diaper or crib? You know, who's got diapers? And literally people move. And I don't understand how social workers don't understand that because if you, the social worker calls you and says, hey, you're going to get a child, these moms move on each other and they get that stuff. And then all of a sudden they call back and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, it's not going to come to you. And you're like, yeah, but I already have all this stuff. Like they just don't get it in that regard. And you're just like, okay, social workers get this, that when you say we're going to get this child, the the community moves and they provide for that mom who's going to get this new child. So it's kind of crazy. And again, just that ongoing support would be awesome and fantastic. I want to hit on that a little bit. So when you get a call, it can be three in the morning, it can be two in the afternoon. Uh, how do you, do you this, I'm going to try to word this right way. How do you decide if you're going to take that place? I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. How, what are like, you know, is it different every time or is it like a, like a thing you just feel? That is a great question. Um, this is the conversation that happens. My wife says, I got a phone call and I say, yep, that's how it happens. That was a pretty, uh, um, pretty answer right there. <laughs> but is there actually something that goes on? So early on, um, we said yes to a lot of placements that were probably outside of what we thought that we were going to be able to handle. And I know that seems like a, a hard word, but some people can handle teenagers some people can handle small little ones. Some people can intermingle their bios with their fosters. We couldn't. And so we learned really quickly, like, yes, this works. Yes, this doesn't. Um, nowadays, um, after 15 years, especially with the use of technology, they're using a lot more emails of like, hey, there's a foster placement that we're looking for. And it's kind of a blast email. And so it's just kind of general knowledge. So if people are interested, they'll kind of like call we kind of got known as the cocaine baby um, family because literally almost all the babies that we had um, were cocaine babies. And we did have one that was a methadone baby that was probably my hardest and probably my most attached that, now you're going to make me get emotional, um, that he went from a very crying baby for no apparent reason for hours and hours on end to the giggliest little six month old that you've ever seen. Like you could, I could touch him and he would belly giggle till the cows come home. It was amazing. So there, I mean, like how great God is that he can provide these opportunities for you to go from such extremes um, was just amazing to be able to do that. So how does the, the call go? Um, I think if you are a new foster parent, if you're just kind of getting into it and you're trying to decide whether or not that that's actually going to work for you. You really do need to have a conversation with your wife about, or, or your spouse with what, what can we handle? Can we handle cerebral palsy? Can we, I mean, those are big things. Can we handle a drug baby? Drug babies are hard. I will tell you that from the get go, but also at the same time, if you pray over that baby, God provides, I have no idea how I, I literally, I've had, 59 of them, I still don't know how I can handle it to this day because they cry for no reason on end. And you're like, okay, I changed your diaper. I did this. I did that. But somehow the peace of God comes on you and you're able to kind of handle and hold and, and that baby. And you're like, how did you get up in the morning? Well, God provided. So it's just kind of crazy in that regard. So figure out what you can and cannot handle um, and really try to stick with that. Um, make sure you ask all the questions like, 
they call and they say, hey, I have a placement of a, you know, two month old. Does it come with any siblings? Because <laughs> that's happened to us a couple times. Oh, yeah, by the way, they have a two and four year old sibling. Okay, I'm not like I don't have enough room in my house. I don't have enough room in my cars to be able to do that. There's lots and lots of things that go with being able to say yes or no. Um, I know a bunch of different families that said yes to a sibling set of four all at the same time. And you're like, whoa, how can you do that? Ours only came to us one at a time. So that's everybody's like, how do you do that? Well, they only came to us one at a time. And just recently, though, that's why there was a big bump there at the very end. We did have the little guy who was um, so crazy. His bio parents had a set of twins. And so we watched the twins and we're like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness we've never said hi to twins because they're hard. And twin babies who are on drugs are double hard. Right. So, right. and we only had them for a weekend and that was like enough. And then we, <laughs> that, that's, that's a lot to even, to even fathom, you know, taking twins, let alone ones that are, uh, you know, that are addicted to, to drugs. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. woo, I'm just trying to even, yeah. I, whoa, whoa. So like, I don't even, that, that's incredible to think about that, that, that double, double whammy. So I'm going to take it a step further here. You have you have fostered uh, children of many different uh, cultures. How has that been being a multiracial family? Like, what advice would you give us? I know for me personally, yeah. we're on that journey. What's something that you've seen or advice you can give there? Um, unfortunately, I have heard of lots and lots of different stories about um, the multicultural family. It's normal in my community and in my group of circle friends. It's normal. It just is. Like, our church is okay with it. Our our community is really okay with it. The public, not so much. They are still like, oh my gosh, she's so cute. Oh my gosh, is she yours? Are you babysitting? Well, our family, it's always, are you babysitting? Oh, is this your school group? Is this a, is this a daycare? No, no way. They ask you if it's a daycare? There's no way. Oh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> I wear a shirt that says, yes, they're all mine. I, I, I just wear that shirt. I just say, yes, they're all mine. You should have been like, um, hey, we got spa for one more. Only $2,000 yeah. a month. <laughs> <laughs> The back of our van says honk if a kid falls out. Um, yeah. So back to the multicultural racial thing. We've had to do some specialty shopping. We have two black um, daughters, the three-year-old and the one-year-old. Um, so yes, we've had to do some of those things. Um, we have some black friends who come over all the time. We have Auntie Darlene who comes to our house um, several times a month, um, just sometimes for dinner, sometimes to do hair. Uh, my wife has learned really good how to do black hair it's not easy. And, um, they're two different girls and they have very different hair. Um, and they have required different things and it's, um, very different. We still get those old ladies in the store, you know, whether they're white or black or Hispanic or whatever, but they are always like, Oh, it's so cute. And you, you, you God bless you. You must be a saint. You, you know, all the things and you just smile and nod and say yes. And a couple of ours are, the two boys that we have 13 and 11 are nine months apart. And so like we'd go to a, a water park and they'd be like, Oh, are they twins? And you're just like, yes. I just don't want to get into, get into it. So yes. Um, because of course my wife gave them same matching swimsuits and we do have two, the daughters, the eight and the 10 year old, the eight year old is larger in stature than the 10 year old. They just got different genes. And again, they're like, Oh, are they twins? And you're like, they're two years apart. No, they're not. Twins. But you just say, you just nod and say, yes. Yes. Um, just yes. strangers at the water park. And of course my, my, my wife dresses them in the same outfit. So yes, of course they're twins. Um, but 
for us in our community, it's just normal. Um, I have heard some terrible stories of, you know, black dads with white children. Like, why would you go to the park if you're stealing the baby? But why would you call the police? Um, unfortunately, those stories are out there. So I almost feel like I have to carry my foster care license and the adoption paperwork to say, yes, this is my daughter, you know, or things like that. And I just hate to feel like I have to live in a community and live in a society where I have to do that. Um, it just, the trust level needs to kind of increase in that regard. And um, it is unfortunate that we live in a society where that has to happen that way. But overall, um, I think we're going to have some challenges later, a little bit later on when they become teenagers, because we have some big hurdles, I think, and struggles to talk about with you know, driving and, and things like that when they get a little bit older. Um, but we have some good friends who um, they're, and they live just on the road and they are white fam white parents and they've adopted twin black girls um, who are now 13. Um, and so we talk with them quite a bit as well about how kind of to navigate the, the differences and are there cultural changes and cultural things that we need to work on with them. A lot of the foster conferences that you will go to will have a ton of information on that as well, like African-American um, African hair care for whites, um, for white moms and things like that. And it's really great that a lot, oftentimes my wife will go into some of those stores and they're like, oh, thank you for coming in. You know, she's really welcome there. And that makes her feel good that she knows what she's doing. Um, she has been approached by black moms out there and said, oh my gosh, who did her hair? And my wife will be like, I did. And she, they always look at her like, no, girl, you know. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's been really respective. Um, I think with some international adoptions, especially from the Southeast Asian community, there might be some expectations there in regard to the, some big stereotypes in regarding um, Asian children um, just in general. And so that's always really, really hard to kind of overcome that big stereotype of um, that type that culture that's out there where it's just part of your family. Um, we did hear a lot from adopted adoptees, um, a little Asian girl who went into the um, Dutch culture of Michigan. Very, very different. No one around like her. She struggled a lot with her self-worth and self-identity until she kind of got into her twenties where she could really, realize that she has a dual citizenship she has a dual she has she can be both she doesn't have to be fully american she doesn't have to be fully you know white you know blonde blue-eyed of most of upper michigan to, and she can also be asian but she can be both and that was right. really really difficult and so i think for us, we're going to try to make sure that they understand that they can be both. It's really, really okay to be both. You can be both part of our family and be black. It's really, really okay. I mean, and you probably go about and try to bring that culture as much as you can into your family. Uh, I know that's something that my wife and I are really like, we celebrated Lunar New Year this year. And that's something that, yep. and I think that's really, that's really important as when we were growing up, I don't, I don't think I'm that much younger than you uh, that, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't see color. I just see you. And I think that, you know, we've, we've come to overcome that. I know from my learning, I'm sure that that's something that, you know, you try to bring in that different cultures into your and celebrate it, not just once a year, but, you know, as much as you can. Yeah. So now I've even talked, I've even approached some of my black students and especially like regarding Kwanzaa and stuff like that. Um, and 
a lot of their responses were, are they African or are they American? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, no, did they like come from Africa? And then, yes, you can probably celebrate Kwanzaa. But if they're American, um, it seemed like a lot of my students, at least in our area here, they don't necessarily celebrate Kwanzaa as an African-American just because they're African-American, just because they're black. Um, they actually w felt like that was an African um, tradition. And so they don't necessarily practice that. So we wanted to be culturally sensitive to that um, choice right. about whether or not we should be starting to celebrate that or not. No, I, I, I get that. So you, you did your homework. So if you're interested, do your homework, right? All right. So yeah. as you're fostering, how, how, when, when you say goodbye to a placement, like how, how do you do that? How do you prepare yourself <laughs> for that? Or can you prepare yourself? Um, well, like I said earlier, I, we have literally poured into every single, every single one of the kids. Most of the time we kind of know whether or not it's going to be a placement that stays or a placement that goes, um, being such, there is still a part of you that holds back just that last little bit that says, nope, the child is probably not going to ever stay with me forever. Um, and so you do love, 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 but there is still a little bit of a holding back. So you kind of know that eventually that child is going to be going away. Um, and, and you have to be able to kind of, in almost all of our cases, we kind of knew ahead of time, like, Hey, this is going to happen in two weeks. Hey, this is going to happen in a week. I don't think it ever like was like, Oh, you have 10 minutes to just like pack up everything and go. So yes, you can prepare. And, um, but at the same time, when that child leaves, you need to go through that grieving process. You need to mourn for that child that, um, they were truly loved. You did the best that you can and they are in a different place. Um, whether that, that you feel like that's the safest place for them or not. Cause I know that for a lot of people, they're like, Oh, how can they go back? Well, the, the court said that this is where they are. I do wish that foster parents had a little bit more say, but again, we are just, our real role is really just to love that child and keep that child safe until they can be moved on. And it's not necessarily to make judgment or pass judgment on anybody else. So like the little guy that left, he again was probably my most attached and I, and not to say that we felt that we, we were going to adopt him, but I needed to love him 110,000% um, because he needed that. And so he was one that I had to take off the next day of school and just kind of be by myself and recollect my thoughts and get my heart back in order and reached out to my community. Um, and they all picked me back up and they sat next to me and they didn't necessarily need to say anything. They just needed to be there and they needed, I needed to know that they were there for me. Um, and so again, that's why you need that community for that child. They need to know that they're just loved. That's all that they need to know is that they're loved. Um, just love them, love them, love them. And they don't need to see the hurt behind because that child doesn't need to go through that grieving process. You can, and you are going to recover and you are going to have a community that builds you back up. But that child does not usually, um, they don't have a supportive community. They don't have, you know, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, cousins. They don't have classmates that love them that much or that like them that much. Um, it's, it's very hard on them. Um, and so if you can prevent any of that by just 
holding on to that emotion until that child actually leaves your home. And then once they're gone, then go ahead and grieve. And I think that's the healthiest thing for the child and for you. Um, but again, that's why you have your community. Uh, the way you phrase that was so powerful to me is like, you, you have to love, they don't have that support group. And so you have to hold on that. I never thought about it uh, in that, in that perspective. I like the way you phrase it like that. You know, when we, when we were placed with our first daughter uh, and then that month later, when, you know, mom, mom came back, you were, I remember feeling really happy for her, but yet it was like the worst uncontrollable feeling uh, in your life. And I'm sure you know better than most, but yeah, I, I don't know. Even now, sometimes, even with our second placement, I still don't know if I believe it's going to happen basically because nothing has happened in our adoption the past six weeks. <laughs> so I feel, but it, it is really powerful the way you phrase that. And we used to work at a summer camp and my wife and I, that's where we met. And it was a Christian uh, camp for physically and mentally disabled adults and children. And, and our motto was that, you know, you may be, maybe week seven for you, but it's week one and only one for them. And so that is a great yeah. way to put it. I love yeah. that. Oh, man, that was awesome. Oh, man, that was a great way to phrase it. I love it. I love it, man. I love it. Okay. So how do you make time for all your, your, your kids? How do you try to make a special time with all those kids in your house? <laughs> that is one of the hardest parts. Um, and so usually it's little thoughts here and there. Um, I love to, as my side hobby, cook and bake. And so oftentimes my personal one-on-one time will come during those times. And I try not to go to potlucks at that point, you know, like, Hey, I just picked my nose. Um, but we try to make those, you know, just family dinners kind of things, or daddy's making cookies for the family or making pumpkin cheesecake for the family. Um, or lately, you know, sourdough bread with the family. Can I portion out the bread? Can I do this? Can I do that? Um, the big kids, we, um, so individual time is often rough. Um, I know that a lot of people do individual family um, or like um, daddy-daughter dates or daddy-son dates. I have had to work a second job for 17 years of my life, and I just quit that last year. Um, if I didn't have been doing that, that probably could have been something as part of our family culture, but it just it wasn't in the cards for us. Um, so that just never happened that way. Um, so we try as much to... Um, really celebrate their birthday. Now, I don't know about you and I don't know about other foster families, but birthdays in a foster home and holidays in a foster home for us are extremely terrible. They, the kids' emotions run really, really high. And so you just have to be prepared for that. The focus is on someone else, usually, whether it's Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthday, anniversary, um, whatever the case may be, even Christmas, be prepared for that. And it's really, really difficult. And I don't, I don't know how, I don't even know if there's a fix for it. It just is something that's going to happen. We have had to send children away during open present time um, just because they can't handle it. We do have a rule in our house that if you do get a present on Christmas, Easter birthday, that it's yours for the day. Pretty much after that, it is kind of family stuff. Um, I like that. But like for that. that one day, nobody else gets to touch that toy. Um, and that's kind of helped and saved us in a lot of different circumstances. But we also try to make sure that we have really good toys. Like we'll get Fisher Price and we'll get little tykes and things like that. We will not get 
fad toys ever. Um, they just don't last in a house like ours. Our, if you are at all like ours, our furniture is also recyclable. Like we don't buy furniture. We just get the free stuff that's out there because it's just recyclable. I feel you. I, I bet <laughs> my, my sons struggle. My three sons, my youngest and my, my two youngest struggle with somebody else's birthday. It was my birthday last week and they couldn't even handle that. I'm like, not even. Yeah. It, trust, yeah. I could only imagine having more, more than just three <clears throat> and how challenging that would be. That's a good way to put that. I, uh, it, it, it can be. All right. So I'm going to take it another step. How do you maintain your relationship with your wife by having a lot of children in the house? So again, I, I worked a second job for 17 years, so but I worked a lot of late nights for that. And so I tried really hard to make sure that during, when I was home, the kids were asleep by or went to bed at least at around seven. And they went to bed early on purpose, usually because we couldn't handle them anymore. Um, and we needed time to rest and recharge ourselves and actually talk in adult conversations and not in baby speak. Uh, I so get that you. happened I a lot. Um, our date nights often, especially during that time, was a trip to the grocery store. Um, so that's been really difficult. Um, but also we went to and we have over the last, well, not because of COVID, but before that, gone to foster care and adoptive conferences. And it was a time away from the kids. And yes, it had to been pre-planned. And yes, there was a lot, a lot of work to try to make that happen. Um, but so worth it because you could reconnect with your wife. You could get strategies to work together. Um, and you have to work together because you cannot be on different pages when it comes to those kids. Um, and so sometimes I deal with them. Sometimes she deals with them. If she needs to tag out, she says, tag, you're it. And then I'm on. And um we try really hard not to intervene across if they start something, you know, then they finish it. If they, again, can't work it on anymore, then we kind of do that. We learned really, really quickly that there's this thing in foster care adoptive world called regulation and dysregulation, meaning like I'm manic or I'm like, you know, super low, but often manic in our house. <laughs> I'm like way out of control. And basically at that point in time, you have that whole kind of concept of flipping your lid and that darn amygdala um, ruins the party every single time because he will rear his ugly head and then the kids can't listen. And so they need a time in. Um, they don't need a time out. They need to be in their own time and space, but know that you're going to be there when they need to calm down and speak to you. We actually have a couple different places in our house where we um, have fake flowers and fake candles and we blow out the candles and we smell the flowers as opportunities for them to calm down. Um, we have timeout spaces where they have a, a visual timer um, that actually has, you know, the red that says, okay, I'm no longer red. I'm no longer red um, to be able to do that. But connecting with your wife is very, very difficult. Um, just recently, we've had this wonderful um, a wraparound ministry called One Hope in our area um, that is literally a wraparound community and they provide us with a meal and um, some money and a daycare provider one night a week, uh, one month, sorry, one night a week, one night a month to go out as a couple. So they provide not only the money to go out, but also the babysitter for us to stay in. So it's been an amazing, a lot of people want to help in foster care. They don't know what to do. So this one hope is kind of the organizational system that says, not only are we going to provide you a meal every single week, but because um, it's one last thing, right? 
um, one less dinner that you have to clean up, one less meal that you have to plan for, all of the things. We just had that tonight, actually. And um, and then that one night a month that you can actually reconnect with your wife. And that ours is going to be on Saturday. So I'm super excited. We're going to go to an actual play, um, which is super exciting. That's a, that's a, that's a really cool ministry. What a, what a really cool thing to, to, to do for foster families. All right. So yes. you are, you're going to travel back in time, 15 years, 16 years, and you're going to talk to your pre foster self. Uh, he number one is going to say, man, that beard is fierce. Number one, number two, <laughs> what would you tell your pre foster? So what advice would you give to that? Well, you also be you know probably have a little more hair you know on your head too, at that point. Get into and and be part of that community because I know that I was stood on the sidelines a lot. Um, it was kind of because I was working a second job, but now that I'm in, um, especially in the fo- foster um, foster adoptive dad group um, and a big part of that group, it's been an absolute amazing thing to be able to just stand alongside men and work walk, you know, go through their journey together. Don't sit on the sidelines with that community and be part of that community and help and um, encourage others to get into helping foster care, not necessarily to do foster care themselves, but to, Hey, um, there's a big push, especially in that group as well. This one hope group for uh, a system kind of like big brother, big sister, where they would as single mom or single um, men and women out there and they would come pick up your child for two, three hours and kind of just go play basketball, go fishing, go for a walk, go on a bike ride, go, I don't know, do go for a movie, whatever the case may be, just as a, Hey, someone outside of your home helps. And then sometimes taking away that one actually helps the rest of the, you know, just for a little bit to be able to do that, but just really to get involved in that community would be, uh, if I go back, like there's foster adoptive or foster Christmas parties all the time. And all the dads would just be like, ah, I'm picking you know, on the sidelines, not really interacting with each other. But now I go and say hi. And we got to know each other pretty well. And we're about to start some more face-to-face meetings. And when we did have face-to-face meetings, it was actually really, really, once you kind of get over that, like, dad, I'm too cool to do this kind of thing. But if you start to get to know these guys, I mean, these guys are, just as frustrated and you know just as genuine hearted as you are that you just want to provide the best that you can be and you're not alone and if i would have known that way back when i think that there could have been a lot more help provided i think there could have been a lot more interaction on my part to be able to just really impact the community for foster care i like that's that's a good way to put it. i think as men especially is talking with other other dads i think you know, it's, we're not alone. I know we act like we're not, but then sometimes we think we are. I know I do that a lot. And sometimes I'll look at my children. I'm like, man, am I, am I, is some other dad dealing with this issue? This is just, what's going on with this kid? I mean, I'm such a cool dad. I'm like a really cool dad. Why, why is he, my son doesn't think so, but I, I know that I am. So, I mean, it's all that matters. All right. So what is the, what's your favorite thing to do with, with as your family? What do you guys like to do? I think our favorite thing is camping. We look forward to it. We have another foster family that we go with and we've been doing that now for about seven years. We go to the same um, campground and it's just an amazing time. We're actually bumping it up from four days to six days this year, um, which is just crazy. Like you're going to put all 10 kids into a camper for six days. 
That's there, cheating. There be... That's not camping. You need to have a tent if you're going to go camping. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I got a 10-person uh, one in my basement. You want to borrow it? You can uh, borrow the 10 Yeah, maybe. Put all the kids in there, that one. Um, there you go. But we love a good movie night. Um, we love to make popcorns and smoothies um, for dinner instead of an actual dinner. That's always a fun treat for the kids. We love our Saturday morning breakfasts. Um, we love to be able to have donuts on birthday days, which is super exciting. Um, and we, both of our parents are not here in Kenosha or not even in Wisconsin. So mine are up in about six hours away in the Twin Cities area in Minnesota. And then my in-laws are down in Kentucky. And so those big road trips are always hard and good at the same time because the grandparents get to see them and they get to spend time with cousins and stuff outside of our home. But those car rides can be a little bit crazy. Um, but also like when we go on vacation, like we just went to Gulf Shores, basically at Dolphin Island down in Alabama for spring break this year, we able, we were able to take the big white van and, um, it was nobody's lonely ever because we're always together and there's always somebody to play with. And so that was always super exciting just to be together and, um, spend that time together and, playing cards and things like that. We're a big card family. And, um, there are, yes, there are some card games that you can play with 10 kids. Go <laughs> fish. Fast no more than go fish. We have a game called elimination and it's a fast dice and card game. So you kind of roll You've heard of, well, you probably not have heard of, but like you just roll two dice at the same time. And then whatever the combination is, you get rid of that card. It's but it's really fast. game. I, I can imagine that you, the thing, how creative you, your life has been with having those many children around all the different things. All right. So your fifth down question here is you have a billboard. What are you going to put on there for other possible adoptive or foster dads? What would you put on a billboard? The billboard would say, yes, it's a handful. So help. Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, <laughs> you kind of, you kind of, I don't think I've ever, ever read it before like you did. I saw you pull it up on your computer. I saw it in the glare. I, I like it. Uh, so why, why would you put that? What would you, what, what, I mean, I guess, let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. What, what would be the most helpful thing someone can do for you as a foster dad? Well, like, like what we said is that this wraparound ministry is not just one person, but it's a community of people coming together to do one meal a week, one night a month, get those parents out of the home and let them do what they need to do to reconnect. Because without the mom and dad, that is going to fall down, right? Mentorship of those kids uh, by somebody else. And mom and dad can do a great, a lot of things, but just somebody to come alongside of them. And maybe they're dealing with something that they don't want to talk to mom and dad about, you know, they, they just want to be able to do that kind of thing. Um, we also have in our community a great little program um, called the Foster Closet. It's kind of like goodwill for foster people. But people have been donating left and right to this foster closet. Um, and this wonderful woman who doesn't even do foster care herself houses it in her entire basement. So a foster placement happens. They call the foster closet. Three bags full of clothes, diapers, um, jackets, whatever the case may be goes out to this family and then a small bag of tea and ibuprofen and Tylenol <laughs> goes to the mom. <laughs> um, 
and usually a couple gift cards to go along with it. Like, Hey, you just, you just got a placement, you know, life is rough and let's give you a, basically a baby shower without having a baby shower. And, um, cause sometimes the baby shower is for a 10 year old child, you know, and, you know, but that child usually only comes with a garbage bag full of clothes. And there are many, many ministries out there that are popping up of duffel bag ministries that police are now carrying in their, in their backpacks. The hard part is, is if you make a duffel bag ministry, but then you stuff the duffel bag full of stuff, they still have to carry all their other stuff in a garbage bag. Just, just putting that out there. Like if you have a duffel bag ministry, just leave the duffel bag empty so that they can fill it with their own clothes. Ah, just that putting makes, that out. That, that's kind of like just the back. Right? Just putting that out there. Not that you <laughs> speak from experience, right? Um, yeah, that was one of the most sobering experiences that we did have to do is we did have to pick up a 10 and eight year old from their home and go to their house and help them pack. It was so sobering. Wow. Well, Ryan, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing uh, your, your story, your journey, and just your, your message of community and relationships. Uh, but you, you, I appreciate you and, and the Facebook group. So if any guys are on there and look that up, uh, foster and adoptive uh, dad, uh, brotherhood, excuse me. And uh, Ryan's a leader on that and administrator does a fantastic job. He's always been answering any question that I had and I appreciate it, Ryan. And, and yeah, you yeah, it just, it's incredible to hear your story and especially the fact you work two jobs. That's, that's, that it blows my mind. I, I don't know how you did it. Honestly, I don't know how you did. It. I don't know how my wife did it either because she was a single mom there for a long time. I mean, plus, you know, I, I yeah, being a server, I'm sure you have many stories from the server front that you could tell along your, your book will be very, what you have teacher foster dad, and you were a server. I mean, that's three novels right there. I know that I'm writing a book yeah. when I retire. Uh, from teaching. So it's going to be all my stories, but you, you can get three times more over on me. So, well, just try to name a child when you're a teacher and a server. Cause like, no, no, you can't name it that I had a child like that once. Oh, no, trust no, me. we've already been down there. Oh, I know. Been down there. <laughs> Ryan, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Have a great day, everybody. Man. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. <laughs> Ryan has such great information such great experience. And like I said, anytime I've ever had a question, he's always been there to help out. Put me in contact with someone that can help me out. I just cannot thank him enough for coming on. He's a very busy man. Like I said, 59 foster kids. Just an incredible heart for that. And again, if you guys have any questions or I can help you out at all, pray for you, show ideas, anything at all, please shoot me an email at Adoptive Dad Playbook at Gmail. I have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't post frequently. I need to do a better job of that. But would love for you to spread the word, five-star re-rating, uh, write a review, anything that gets it out. And we're helping dads out there, and it's great. Everyone have a great week, and appreciate you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Adoptive Dad Playbook. Be sure to follow us on social media. 